Last year, I wrote a blog post titled How to Cheat an Online Business. And this post is all about one of the most remarkable things that I've learned in the last couple of years. And that's that you should build an audience. Because when it comes down to marketing, all you're really trying to do is get attention. That's what everyone's trying to do with ads and things that interrupt you and all this stuff. Big corporations are trying to get attention. But if you build an audience, then you have all these people who want to pay attention to what you're doing. They want to follow your story. They want to uh, hear about your latest blog post. And some of them want to buy your product. And so that's what this blog post was about. It was all about how an audience is really the cheat codes that makes online business work so well. And that's the topic that I want to dive into so much more in this podcast, which is appropriately called audience. So in this show, what I'm going to do is bring on guests who I think have done remarkable things with their audience. It could be selling a SaaS application or hitting the New York Times bestseller list with a book or selling courses or getting to 10,000 email subscribers really quickly. All these different things that are enabled through an audience. And today's guest is a good friend of mine. His name is Jason Zook, and he's done some truly remarkable things with an audience, including getting paid to wear a t-shirt, as well as auctioning off his last name, all kinds of ridiculous stuff. With that, let's jump into today's interview with Jason. This episode is brought to you by Kajabi. And I want to tell you a little bit about what Kajabi does, but instead of doing a regular ad for it or something like that, I thought it'd be much more interesting to talk directly to the guys at Kajabi and let you get to know them. And then also they can tell you a little bit about what they do, what Kajabi does, and we've got some great content coming up. So Steve, thanks for talking with me. And uh, what's your role at Kajabi? And then what does Kajabi do to help uh, bloggers and content creators? Yeah, my role is I'm the director of marketing at Kajabi. And Kajabi basically helps content creators sell and market their information online. Perfect. I like it. And you guys have all kinds of great creators and authors using it. Pretty established platform. How big is your team now? Yeah, absolutely. We are about, I guess, about 15 people. Okay. It's a good sized team. So what we're going to do over the next couple episodes is Steve is going to come on for each episode and share a little bit about uh, how they're helping Kajabi customers sell more and the the stuff that you can apply, whether you use Kajabi or not, to your own business in order to sell more books and courses and and just have a much more profitable and successful online business. All right. So, Jason, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, Nathan, I'm excited. I think this is a topic that we both have a good amount of experience in and, and I have a lot of varying experience. So I'm curious to see where this goes. All right. First of all, well, oh, man, there's so many places to start. <laughs> but let's go back to... The Jason that had no audience, uh, wasn't internet famous, and when when did that journey start? Yeah, that was, um, I would say that's 2008. That was when the idea for Our Reader Shirt came about. This is September of 2008, and I love to tell people, I mean, I didn't have a Twitter account. I had a Facebook account that my college roommate had set up for me so that he could meet girls. Like he was just using my account because he couldn't, his school didn't have an account. We were, we were roommates, but we went to different colleges. So I had like 122 blonde, like female friends, which was hilarious because I didn't know a single one of them. And I, 
I saw the potential of all these uh, like social media sites and everything, but I didn't know anything about email marketing. I didn't know anything about building a community. I, I really didn't know anything, but I just, I looked at all these places where people were talking and I said, hmm, I kind of want to be here. I think there's a way to get some brands, you know, talking, you know, to the people that are sitting here, maybe already talking about these brands and, you know, from there just got going with it. Yeah. So the first idea that you worked on was I wear your shirt, right? As far as the first big social thing. Yeah, exactly. With, I mean, literally nothing. I mean, no following, nothing. I mean, 50 email addresses probably that were friends and family and coworkers. Yeah. So there's so much stuff here and that's where, that's where you first started working on the bump sale pricing that we'll talk about more. Um, Hey, oh man. Okay. So let's jump, in, <laughs> let's jump into that. And you tell me about I wear your shirt, how that started, how you sold those first couple of days and then just what happened, where it went from there. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would imagine if people have heard me talk about I wear your shirt before that they know this, but you know, when I first launched that website and I think it was October 10th, 2008, I wear your went live and it was like putting up a billboard in the desert. 12 people showed up on launch day. And of those 12, I think I was multiple you know, browsers. I think my grandmother, my mom, and the developers who built the site. Like there was no traffic, let alone like complete strangers who showed up. And I quickly realized that you have to promote these things, right? I mean, you put up a website, you put up anything, uh, especially back in like 2008, you know, it, it needs – you need to tell people about it. And so I, I looked at the things that I had at my disposal. There were these social media platforms, but I was really unfamiliar with them. I didn't know what I should be doing or how I should even be talking to people. But I knew that I had like 50 to 100 contacts in my, my address book, like my actual address book on my computer. So I just started sending emails individually to people. And I didn't hard sell them. I just said, hey, this is a crazy idea I came up with. Do you know anybody who might be interested in learning more about it? Like, I'm really excited about the idea. I think it's going to be really cool. Who can you, you point me to? And so little by little, you know, that started to get a little bit of traction, but it certainly wasn't like an explosion of growth. But it just led me to, you know, one person over here, a person, you know, that had a business over here. And, and so I slowly sold a couple, you know, first days on I Reassured, as they were called, and started to get some people who were like, oh, you know, what's going on with this idea? Nice. So the first thing that I like is that you started with people you already knew and went with, went with the direct outreach model, which... Everyone always thinks that I'm going to put this out there and then I'm going to get the internet to pay attention to it yeah. as, yeah. as if that's a thing. But really it's yeah. just people. And so you start with individual people. I always recommend that people write down, you know, 10, 20 people that your content or whatever you're creating is specifically supposed to help and then reach out to them. So that's really good. And then, so why don't you talk about, I guess, so you're selling days for I wear your shirt. Give like a, a brief overview of, of what that is. If someone buys a day of I wear your shirt, what do they get? Yeah, so the whole idea was that I was going to sell the entire calendar in 2009, um, one day at a time at face value the day uh, of the year. So if you bought the fifth day of the year, it would cost you $5. If you bought the 50th day of the year, it would cost you $50. And the whole calendar was for sale. And every day I would put on a company's t-shirt, I would promote them through social media, and I would just try and be a human talking about these different brands through photos and videos and Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff. So you can imagine that the first couple of people who got those emails were like, what? 
you know, why would I care about this? But the really interesting thing was with that incremental pricing structure, the bump sale pricing, as, as we call it now, th- that really took away some of the, the nervousness for people or the, the risk factor. Because at like $13 for the 13th day, someone goes, OK, let's just see what this guy's going to do. And so it really kind of built in this this nice little slow roll of getting in front of people, of, of getting my name out there. And, and, you know, then I just kind of tried to leverage people who already had audiences. Any company that bought a day, I would just send them an email before their day and I would say, hey, I'm wearing your shirt tomorrow. Have you ever paid somebody to wear a T-shirt for you before? The answer was always no. So go tell everybody that you know about this because it's going to be it's marketing for you. You know, you're paying for this no matter what it was. And so that really helped spiral up a lot of the the traffic, the the community growth um, and then just being very present on all these platforms every single day. You know, people could pay attention. They could see, you know, fresh and, and consistent content. And I think people really get behind that, especially early on. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Having something where the price increases like that, where people don't have to invest a lot until there's traction is great as well. And it makes you want to get in early because you're like, wait, I kind of want to try this thing because it's kind of crazy and it sounds unique. And I'd rather pay 20 bucks than 200. And so exactly. Yeah. So that's good. So where did it go from there? Or I guess first, how long did it take to sell the first day? How did how did things go? You had those two months of lead time basically to start selling before you had to start wearing shirts. Yeah, I basically spent every day those two months emailing. Um, you know, I would I sent off those first fifty to one hundred emails. I would say those resulted in probably about an additional hundred to two hundred emails of either people responding or people introducing me to people, or you know, I, some people had found me through social media. So I was getting a little bit of of people emailing in. That doesn't mean they were purchasing. That just means they were emailing in, going, "What are you doing? What is this weird thing?" You know, my friend John told me about this. Like, please tell me. Why why I should pay you $8, which is a very weird email to get. But, you know, the the more that I just was a human and responded to these people and spoke to them like I would want to be talked to, and especially in a sales process, they really felt, okay, you know, this is just a normal guy who just is trying a new idea. And so slowly but surely, you know, days started to get purchased. And really, it was just through email. I mean, I, I can't equate any of the sales for the first two months it with anything other than email, which is hilarious to think about now because I didn't know what email marketing was. I didn't have a list. I was just sitting in my inbox replying and sending emails all day. So um, the the first day actually was one that I I kept aside because I knew I wanted to start the year off with the biggest and best company I possibly could. And I didn't know who that was going to be. I just wanted to hold it. But when January 1st rolled around, I had basically sold five and a half months of, of the I Shirt calendar oh, wow. through hustle, through email. And I had done nothing yet. I mean, I hadn't filmed a single video. I hadn't talked to anybody. I hadn't worn any shirts. Uh, but I had just been hustling. I'd just been you know, sending these emails, actual real hustle, not like Oh, I'm putting out a tweet every day hustle, like actually talking to people, getting on the phone, having back and forth conversations via email. And then the first day ended up a company by the name of Ustream, which a lot of people have probably heard of now. But back then, you know, no one had heard of them. Really, YouTube was the only name in video. Justin TV was was the first kind of live video platform that most people probably haven't heard of. But Ustream reached out and they said, hey, you know, we heard about you. We think this is cool. Would you be willing to add live video to your daily thing? You know, we want to support you in some way. We'll promote you on the homepage of Ustream. We're a young site, but we have some big goals. And so I said, yeah, I actually happen to have the first day available. You sound like a cool company for that. 
And so that that kind of marriage happened. And they were the first day I wore a shirt for. And then every single day I was basically featured on the front page of Ustream for the first four or five months of I Rear Shirt, which really helped accelerate the growth and the community building, uh, especially and some sales. I mean, there were business owners who were watching, you know, what was going on with Ustream. And so they're like, oh, you know, I'm a tech company. You're on this tech platform. I'll spend twenty six dollars to have you wear a shirt or whatever. So, yeah, it was that was kind of the beginning story. Nice. So once you started going live with everything and after January 1st, how long did it take until you sold out through the end of the year? Yeah, the final day sold on August 10th. So it took about eight months of, you know, consistent every single day working, filming, you know, being active with the business to sell out the whole calendar. But that felt good to me. You know, I didn't even know if I was going to sell out the whole year. And so for it to sell out basically four months early, that felt, you know, like a huge accomplishment. Nice. So two things. Uh, what company bought the very last spot for three hundred and sixty five dollars? Or was it a leap? That was that was no, it was not a leap year. That was uh, 503 Motoring. They're like an automotive accessory company that funny enough, like I was on a bunch of car forums back when I was, you know, in college and someone from there had seen my name and recognized it through something and had posted about this thing that I was doing. They're like, remember this guy that owned this car? And so a couple people actually from that community like found me, which was really crazy. I mean, it goes to show just the power of being in communities and, and kind of meeting people and talking with people. Nice. And then how much revenue is one plus two plus three plus and so on? Yes. So there is a formula, but I didn't know it and I'm not a math magician. Um, I went into Excel and typed out 365 cells and then selected them all. And it told me that number, which was $66,795. All right. Not bad for... Not bad for wearing t-shirts. Yeah, exactly. T-shirts, but uh, you had to do a lot of hustle for that, and that's something that I think most people would have been had this idea that they were going to come up with something super clever and they were going to put it out there and hope it went viral. And then when it didn't go viral, they would just go, "Oh, well, that was cool. At least I tried." But you, you know, are sending hundreds or yeah, well over hundreds, probably up into the thousands of emails to make that happen. So it's impressive. I like it. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I, you know, I, I had this moment where a couple of days after launching the website, when just no one was showing up, I just had this thought of like, okay, I can either give up because this isn't the greatest idea in the world that I thought it was going to be and no one gives a shit. Or I could hunker down and go, I want to make this thing happen. You know, I want to put everything that I can into this idea and I want to not necessarily prove people wrong because there, there wasn't even anybody to prove wrong at that point. But just to really prove that I could do this and and I, I think that one of the best things that ever happened to me was no one showing up, you know, having that kind of chip on my shoulder to go, oh, well, no one seems to care. Well, I, now I'm not going to make them care, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make this thing successful so that I know, hey, I did this. You know, I, I put in the work and, and I was the one who was able to come out on top with this cool idea. You know, and there was nothing else that was handed to me. I think that's a good point because sometimes like there's there's quite an element of luck in everything that we do and so i think if your first project is totally successful right out of the gate it just happens to be maybe you you hit a few things and get it you know good enough that you just get all distraction all of that you're not going to learn those hard lessons and you probably wouldn't have built up that hustle that you've used in pretty much every business since then 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I, this is a kind of a polarizing thing, but like, I don't believe in luck. I really don't. I I think that uh, actually someone corrected me on this. I believe that there is luck if you are in a plane and it crashes and you survive, right? Like that is absolutely where luck exists. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to business, and this was a quote from some baseball coach long ago, is that luck is the residue of design. You know, so often we put in so many things in place and we do so much work and there's so many unseen things and things that we forget about that we do that when the good, when the outcome happens, you know, when the success comes, we've almost forgotten about all the hard work, right? Because it's taken us so long to get to that point that we go, whew, finally, like I'm lucky I made it. And it's, it's actually not that, you know, I I think a lot of people will rely on luck and, and I'm definitely not trying to like, you know, tell you that you shouldn't think things are lucky, but I just really firmly believe that people don't give themselves and their work enough credit and they think that these things happen just by chance or by coincidence. And you, I think you can always, if you're if you're analytical about it, look at, okay, what did I do to get to this point of where I feel lucky? Man, I'm actually not lucky. I, I deserve this because you know now that I have this keynote at this talk or whatever, it's because I did 50 talks for free you know, over the years to audiences of four people and 10 people. So yeah, I just it's a point that I like to make because I don't think people should sit back and go, okay, and I know you weren't saying this, but okay, I'm, I'm doing some work and I'm gonna wait for, I'm gonna wait to get lucky. You know, instead it's more of just put your head down and do the work and, and really try and achieve the thing that you wanna achieve and um, you know, don't, don't think of it as luck, think of it as the reward for all the work you put into it. Yep, I like that, that's good. So after I wear your shirt, where did you go from there after that first year? Yeah, so one thing I wanted to point out, especially because this is about building an audience, and I think that a lot of people will get a nice little cringe from this. I Wear Your Shirt ended up having from 12 visitors on the first day, had 3 million unique visitors in the first year. Oh, wow. I did not, I did not have an email capture form on my website. <laughs> so there was no audience capture, right? I mean, it was just you come to the website and you could find me on social media and that was it. I think anybody who's built an email list and especially in the time that we live in now where everybody's website has an email opt-in form on it, that was an incredibly huge missed opportunity. But what I, what I kind of realized over the years is as I started to put an email form on the site and, and for five years, you know, I grew I Wear Your Shirt to a million dollar revenue generating business and eventually shut it down in 2013. But the email list that I ended up building for that site and, and I've written about this, um, you know, ended up being over like 25,000 subscribers. It's nothing crazy. It's, it's not a list that you're going to, you know, swim through money like Scrooge McDuck with. But the list, you know, the way that I ended up building it was with giveaways and with free stuff and, you know, you know, here's some extra content things and, and all this stuff. And I very recently, you know, just a couple months ago, deleted that list. And, you know, it took me years to get that list to 25,000 subscribers. And I had this really like tough mental battle of, I spent five years or more building this list and now I'm just going to delete it. But what I realized is that it really didn't serve me. And I think that, you know, we live in a time, Noah, where we are very apparent and aware of all the email pop-ups and all the free downloads to get on my list and all this stuff. And I, I have learned the hard lesson of building a big list that really serves you for nothing other than just the people want the free stuff they signed up for and they're not going to do anything. And so I get on this second soapbox of this interview because I really have learned like I definitely am happy to talk about other projects, but I've really learned 
the value of building a quality list and and really like focus there is on value, not on free stuff, not on incentives. Um, and so I just wanted to bring that up because that was a really important lesson that I learned. I really like what you said about list quality because it's so easy to focus on that total number. And if you're doing something like writing a traditionally published book and you want to impress the publisher by saying, I have 50,000 email subscribers, then great. I would say pursue that because the publisher will be thrilled and you know they don't know enough to dig into that and go, okay, why do those people opt in? What's the open rate? What right. Do they actually buy? Do they want to be on the list? And I think people focus way too much on that total number. And at the very least, what I want people to do and this will probably come up a lot over this podcast, is instead of thinking about the total number of subscribers, think about the engaged number of subscribers. And so yes. at, the, at the bare minimum, the number you should focus on is not, I have 20,000 email subscribers. It's, I have 20,000 email subscribers, and my open rate is 25%. And so my total list, my engaged list, is 5,000 people. And think about it in those terms, and that's the number you should maximize for. Because both yeah. you and our good friend Paul Jarvis do something that I really like, and that's you delete subscribers off of your list on a regular basis. You want to talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm about to delete probably 3,000 people off of my main list. And so, so over the past two years, I've really dug into understanding the quality of, of a good list and the value that I'm trying to get out of it and that I'm trying to deliver. And just like you said, you know, open rate is very important. I think one of the things that I had to determine too is, okay, what's valuable for me when I send out an email? Uh, obviously, if I'm selling a product, that's a whole different equation. But just if I'm sending out, a, I send out a weekly email and it's, it's always a piece of content that I have learned a life lesson from or a business lesson or something, I really want replies. And there's no real metric for that necessarily. Um, you know, and I think open rate, obviously we all know that open rate changes and shifts and, you know, who knows what it's actually measuring, if it's measuring properly. But I really like to know that something that I've written has resonated with the people that are on my list. So I, I get a lot of value from a responsive email list. And when I notice that my list is starting to not be as responsive, I feel like I need to either up my game on my content, I need to pull a James Clear and take a break or a sabbatical. And that's that's where I like got the courage to do that last year was from seeing him do it. And then I also think about deleting a chunk of people. You know, if, if I can go into, I know that you're a ConvertKit guy and I won't say their actual name, but it rhymes with smale pimp. Um, <laughs> if I go into that provider and, and I go, okay, let's just segment out a person has not clicked or opened my last 20 campaigns. Cause that's about a half of a year. That's about six months. Whatever that number of people is to me, that is, that's a group of people that I can let go of. And I can say, you know what? These people haven't checked my stuff over the past six months. They're really not engaged. And here's the beautiful thing. And this is, I think, where people get scared is I'm not worried if I delete somebody because if they raise their hand and go, whoa, I'm not getting your emails anymore, then they can easily get back on. I can apologize and I can put them back on. I've never had that happen. You know, I want those super engaged people. So I'm OK to let go of the people who just like skim my email. Like, oh, OK, Jason wrote something again. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how my view has changed. And, you know, maybe I'm just very naive about this whole thing. But I, I just I really want that engaged and responsive reader on my list. Yeah. And I just like you love replies to emails. I don't always you know, have the ability to start a conversation, 
But of course, you know, when I can ask for a reply, like I sent out an email a couple weeks ago and I just said, you know, what's your biggest problem? Actually, that's part of the inspiration for doing this show is because I, I said, uh, how many subscribers do you have now? And what's your biggest problem growing that? Mm. And I just got, I think it was a little over 350 responses nice. from my email list. And, and it was just people saying, you know, I have 800 subscribers and producing content regularly. You know, or, and, you know, just a bunch of different stuff. I had conversations with people that I had no idea they were on my list who have 100,000, 400,000 email subscribers, like just all kinds of people that I got to find out. I just got to get to know my list better. And so I love having those responses. So I love having, you know, a really high quality list in that way that you're going to get a high response rate. So that, that's and good. I think you bring up a really good point too is that. If a lot of people respond to your emails, it doesn't mean you have to respond to all of their replies. You know, a lot of times I'm really happy just to get the replies from people because they're just saying things like, oh my gosh, this resonated with me or my absolute favorite reply that I get on a weekly basis, which makes me incredibly happy. And I'm saying this because I'm proud, not because I'm trying to brag is this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. And for me, I'm like, yes, you know, I, I do a little fist pump and then I move on about my day and I don't have to reply to that email because they just wanted to let me know that that was fine. And, and you know, hey, if I think there's something I can add, that's great. But they, they basically already said, like, this was awesome for me. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I don't want people to get scared of like, oh, well, you know, if I start asking for people to reply and a lot of people start replying, then it's a full time job to, you know, to manage my email list. I think that's part of what you want to talk about in this show is that. Building a really great audience that you have a conversation with is only going to benefit everything that you're doing tenfold. And I think a lot of people overlook that because they think, I just need to get more people on the list, more customer acquisition, more customer acquisition. Um, I don't focus on that anymore, and I know you don't either. It's so much about the retention and about the, like, the, the overall excitement that people have for the things that we're putting out into the world. And I think that if you can really measure against those things, you know, the, the audience building stuff is not just email everywhere can really be beneficial financially for your business. Yep. Absolutely. I'm just going to smile and nod for a second. <laughs> yeah. Cause I love that getting that response as well. And, and yeah. that's a great thing about, you know, if you're emailing out to say 10,000 people, then that content, there's going to be a lot of people on that list that go, Oh, this was good. But there's going to be some small portion that are going to think, wow, you wrote this exactly for what I'm going through in my life right now. And it's yeah. just because you have a large enough audience, but getting those responses back is amazing. And for dealing with those responses, you know, um, I'll respond to a bunch of them, but I also get really good at, you know, just responding with a smiley face or something. And yeah. just it's just a simple way of saying, I got your reply. I appreciate it. And, you know, I don't need to write a couple sentences or something for every response. Yeah. And I think people, that's all they want is the acknowledgement piece, right? So if you're, if yours is a smiley face or if you want to send people a thumbs up photo or, you know, whatever it is, I think find your thing that people can get really accustomed to and, and then they'll start craving it, right? Like they'll, they'll be like, oh man, I, you know, I got to think of something to reply to this email with from Nathan. Cause I want that smiley face, you know, like I need to rack up my Nathan Barry smiley face emails. I joke, but I think people really do look forward to that acknowledgement, and that appreciation. So don't, don't shy away from that. Yeah, I think they do. And there's also something about really getting to know your audience and and them feeling like your friends and you know, I love it when I I write, you know, send out an email and then I get responses from people that I, you know, really look up to in the, you know, in our industry 
And Mm -hmm. like, there's a handful of people that respond to, you know, probably a quarter of my emails or something like that. And I'm like, when they come up, I'm like, I didn't know you were on my list or Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you or Paul respond to an email or something like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I got to keep, I got to keep my content game high, you know, cause uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're know, watching. We're, yeah, exactly. Um, or like uh, Dan Martell responded to an email the other day and he's like, this is really good. It's solid. And so I like having, having that engagement, but then that also made me think of Chris Gillibo because Chris is somebody, he's just absolutely a master of connecting with everyone on some level. And so he's not interested in building up, you know, a hundred thousand fans or something like that. He's at this point, he's probably built up, you know, 20,000 people that feel like they know him pretty well. And they're his friend Yeah, because he's just amazing at connecting with people. And he takes the time to respond to those emails. And, and so everybody that I talk to about Chris, they're, they're like, yeah, I sent him this question about travel hacking. And he responded with like, exact details of what I should do or all these things. Cause he's putting the time in to engage with his audience rather than taking the other approach of being like, I'm too high and mighty to deal with you plebs right. who, you know, <laughs> are just there to consume my content. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. So let's get back to your story a little bit because you've built up, I wear your shirt and you have this audience that you decide you don't, love and they're not as engaged as you like. And so you shut that down later. You deleted the list and everything, but what did you do since then? What, what was it that got you inspired to stay in the, in the content creation, social media game and, and then maybe take that into like what, what inspires you now? Yeah. So in 2012, I got an unfortunate Skype call from my mom, which who I never Skype with. So I knew that things were not going to be good when I got that call. And she told me that my stepfather at the time, which was unfortunately my third stepfather, they were going to be getting a divorce. And so I had, he had adopted me when I was a teenager. I had taken his last name. He was a great guy up until that point, but the circumstances of that split were not good. And so I kind of off the cuff just joked like, oh, well, if you're going to get a divorce, like I want a divorce too. And my mom laughed and made a little levity of the situation. And six months later, I found myself sitting at my computer buying the domain buymylastname.com. And I had lunch with uh, you know a couple friends and I started telling them about this idea. And I said, listen, I'm the crazy guy who got paid to wear t-shirts for a living for multiple years. Why not? Why not be the guy who sells his last name for a short term period to a company? Because I have a last name I don't care about. You know, you've had Barry as your last name your entire life, right? I mean, it, yep. it is it has been with you forever. And I think so many people who have not experienced building an identity without a last name, it's difficult. You know, I, I don't have a legacy that that I my last name carries with me. If anything, I have a tainted legacy, right? It's something I don't want. So. I, I really just said, okay, I'm going to do this. This is a crazy idea, somehow crazier than trying to get paid to wear t-shirts for a living. And I, I looked at what had really worked for me in the previous years of Irish Shirt because every year with Irish Shirt, the calendar would sell out for that, whatever that year was, you know, let's take 2009. It sold out August 10th. And I basically said, okay, I'm going to start selling the 2010 calendar in two months on this date. 
get ready. Now, back in that time, I didn't do any email marketing, so I just said, get ready, which is never a great way to, to market something. But looking back on what had worked the years after that, it was get on this email list who will get first access to this thing. So with by my last name, I didn't tell people what I was doing. I just said, I'm up to something. I guarantee you it will shock you. If you want to know more, sign up for this email list. And that was before I had ever seen an article that was like, you're going to be shocked to see what happens next. Truthfully, I was going to shock people. So I think it was okay that I used that generic headline back then. But so I built a list and it was only 600 people. It was not a lot of people. It was people who had known my story, who had seen my stuff, who had opted into other things. Actually, a couple, like you said, people who you didn't expect to be on your list. I had a couple of reporters from that I had talked to in previous I Rear Shirt, like news features and things like that, who signed up for that list. And I didn't even know because I never really pay attention to who signs up. So I announced this idea by my last name. I basically set up an auction for my name. It started at $0. You could bid whatever you wanted and it would go for 30 days and the highest bidder at the end of 30 days would win the rights to my last name for a year. And so I sent out that email with really zero expectations. I mean, I, I am being truthfully honest. I was hoping that I would make five or $10,000 from this little crazy idea and that would float me for another month or two and then I could figure out what I would do next. And at the end of 24 hours of sending that email to that list and you know announcing it on social media, it was up to $33,000. And yeah, I had the exact reaction that you just had. I, I literally sat there and was like, Really? For a last name? Like I knew this was a crazy idea, but I didn't think that it would it would have as much value. And so, you know, the auction went on for 30 days. I did a couple of news things. I was in the front cover of CNN Money, you know, all this stuff of just this crazy idea. And it ended at $45,500 to a company called headsets.com out of San Francisco. And, you know, a lot of people they're they're like, "Okay, well, what did this company get for it?" Well, I was on the front page of USA Today and I was on Fox and Friends and I was on CNN Money, as I mentioned. And they, because they're a more traditional company, they measure PR and they they measured they got six million in PR impressions that they never would have had. Right. They're a headset company. They're not a sexy company who's going to get these stories. Um, And then they also saw an increase in sales of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So, you know, it was really kind of crazy to see this idea come together really from nothing more than a you know my experience over the previous couple of years and then building a small launch list about this project and so i looked at that and i said okay this is kind of cool what am i going to do next and that kind of led me right into having lunch with a friend of mine who said when are you going to write a book about all this crazy stuff you know you've you've done the Irish shirt thing i had a bunch of other sponsored projects in there over the years the last name deal and so it was from that lunch that i decided i would try and write the first ever fully sponsored book And that I would look at a book as a place where, just like I had done t-shirts in my last name, why not have a company join me on this journey and telling my story and they could have their story with it. And so I had 204 sponsorship spots available, uh, front cover, back cover, inside flaps, and then one on the bottom of all 200 pages. And I was able to raise $75,000 through the project called sponsormybook.com. All my businesses start with a domain. I don't know about you, but like that's how I'm like, okay, let's MVP this thing. I'm buying a domain. But yeah, I was able to raise $75,000 with nothing more than a title of the book. Hadn't written a word, barely could tell, you know, explain what the book was going to be about other than my story. And it was really just with the community and audience that I had built over the years and a very small email list. I mean, I think at the time my email list then, because I wasn't even using the, the big email list that wasn't serving me, was probably like 2,000 people. I mean, it was not that many people. 
But I just sent a lot of emails. Again, like I was just sending emails out to people that I knew I'd worked with. So yeah, I've, I've just rambled for quite a long time. So I'll let you come back to that and then we can talk about where I am today. But those two projects were really where I went after I wear your shirt and have really led me into kind of where I am today with building other businesses and content and really focusing on trying to deliver value for myself and for the people who you know read and consume my stuff. Yeah, so, so the book that you wrote is called Creativity for Sale. And you've got sponsors in there, everybody. The first one that comes to mind, you had Treehouse sponsor and then, you know, hundreds of others, but like lots of great companies sponsored it. Yeah, it was really interesting. You know, there's even reviews on Amazon where people are like, oh, I thought I was going to hate the sponsor thing on the bottom of every page. Then I found myself like dog earing like every fifth page of a company I wanted to check out. And for me, I was like, oh, that's perfect, right? Like that is the like the winning case study testimonial that I will put somewhere for these companies to realize that that it really worked. And, you know, so when the book actually was written and finished, just like, you know, we just mentioned earlier about uh, creating a list of people to, you know, send specific emails to direct touch. You were one of the people, you know, we had kind of, I think we had just maybe exchanged some tweets or something, but we never really talked. Yeah. And I, I put you on that list of people that I wanted to send a copy of the book to with no, I mean, really I had zero expectations. The only thing was, is I was like, I look up to this Nathan Berry guy. He creates really great content. He writes books and I just, I want to know if my book is good to him. You know, does he think it's going to be anything of worth? And so I sent you a copy and I think I still had the email. You're back. You're like, this was actually not a bad book or, you know, paraphrasing something like this didn't suck horribly. And that was really really cool for me. I really enjoyed the book. And, and it was, it really stood out because you sent me an individual copy and, you know, in print and it like there's of all the ways to reach out to somebody like sending them something and saying, Hey, you're mentioned in this book. And then here's, here's a copy and all of that is fantastic. Actually, Paul did the same thing. Yeah. Since we keep, you know, he's since Paul's the third person in this conversation. Um, yeah. We got to keep mentioning him, but yeah, it's a fantastic way to reach out to people, and and it was a really great book, and I and I truly enjoyed it. No, I appreciate that, and and it goes to show you too. I mean, the the personal touch. Had I just and I, this has happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. I'll get an email from someone. It's like, hey, can I get your address? I want to send you my new book, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then I get their book in the mail, and it came in just a plain envelope, nothing in it, and it's just a copy of the book. And I go, okay, so I'm not any more important to you than anybody else in this list that you sent this book to. And I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I wrote a message in the front of every copy of every book with like a little card or something in it that just said, you know, hey, again, like no expectations. You don't need to share this. You don't need to do anything. I just wanted you to have a copy because you were either like influential to me or I wrote about you in the book. And so I think that goes a long way. And just that one extra step can really create that, that, like we were talking about, that appreciation, that influence, you know, those things that that build customers and, and even, you know, I consider us friends, yep. you know, for life, you know, just those little things that you could just go a little bit further with really do that. And I didn't have expectations that like, oh, Nathan's going to become a best friend, you know, now that I'm sending him this book. And, you know, instead it was just, I just wanted you to have it. And I, I wanted to go a little bit further than I, you know, the normal people probably would. Yeah. And, and that's the, well, I remember when I got the book, exactly what I was thinking is cause I remembered the, I wear your shirt stuff. I hadn't been following your stuff, but I remembered when that popped up and then when, you know, you became jasonheadsets.com, I remembered hearing about <laughs> that as well. And so, and I heard about it through like mass media. And so it yeah, was yeah, really yeah. cool to me when, 
I guess I was somewhat internet famous at the time, but I considered you like, you know, actually famous at a, at a higher level. And so to have you reach out and, you know, say like, Hey, your work, you know, has been somewhat of an inspiration. Here's a book. Like it made me feel special. So definitely nice. reach out with handwritten stuff, uh, send, you know, copies of the books. But yeah. With the point you made about like, don't just drop ship books to everybody. It, yeah. It's not, it's not the same. Yeah. And don't offer to send people your Kindle book, you know, like, I mean, what's the point? I mean, I get if you want someone to do like a pre preview read or like you just want feedback on it. Like, okay, but if you're if you're really trying to like start the marketing for your book and it doesn't have to be your book. I mean, if it's any type of physical product, it's just, you know, send the actual thing, you know, send it and and put a little bit of care into it. You never know where it might end up because who, you know, who knows that you could have known somebody and been like, Oh, I just, I read this book from this guy. Like I'm going to pass this book on. And like that could have led to something else. And so I know that people have done that where they've passed on their signed copy because they're like, you know, this book wasn't for sale yet or whatever. Like I have to give this to somebody else. And then that person sends me an email and they're like, this book changed my life. And I have gotten emails from my book like that. And and that means more to me than anything I could ever do with a book, you know, any bestseller list, any media appearance. I mean, none of that means anything except for the fact that when someone says like this thing that you created, that you put your blood, sweat and tears into changed my life, like made me think differently. Like, Oh my gosh, like that's, that is a crazy thing. And, and even tying it into this whole topic of audience, those are the unknown things that you can't plan for. You can't strategize to change people's lives. I I don't know, maybe like Dave Ramsey and and Glenn Beck, who we were talking about earlier can, but I, I think that for the majority of us, you just have to really put your best work out there and not not try and game the system to make those things happen, but just to sit back and go, I'm going to keep hustling, I'm going to keep working, and and we'll, you know we'll see what comes of it. Yep, I like it. So now you've got a new, smaller, focused audience. You started mm-hmm. you started a, a you bought another domain, which I yes. really like because to me it just sums up you entirely. And that that domain is JasonDoesStuff.com because like. I feel like everything that we talked about in the last 40 minutes or so is just you having an idea and then executing on it and actually following through. And so all those crazy ideas that other people have or think about and go, wouldn't it be cool if, or someday I might, mm-hmm. you know, you just actually do it. Yeah. And so to have a domain that sums that up, just Jason does I love it. No, I appreciate that. I, sh- shocking that it was available. There are no other Jasons doing stuff. I know. Um, with Jason, they must be the laziest group of people ever. They they are. They're super lazy. Yeah. I, I, just just like you said. I mean, I was sitting with my girlfriend, and she's she's super smart. She's really great at branding and design. And and you know, we were talking about like, what do I want my online presence to be? And I think that kind of sounds you know weird uh, when you say that out loud, but it, but it's true. I think a lot of us think about that and. It's just like you said, I do a lot of stuff. You know, I'm not just the idea guy. I'm the guy who executes. And so this this really fit perfectly. And and so that that in itself, that entity, if you will, has gone through some really interesting changes. You know, in the beginning, I, I just wasn't sure what it was. So it was just kind of a go to this site. It's a list of all the projects I'm working on because I'm doing so much stuff. And uh, like here's an, an email sign-up form that just said like sign up to hear from me with an email form. You could imagine how well that worked. And then I really started to like as I was writing my book and as I was reading other interesting books and, and just reading about other interesting people, I said, you know what? I, I think that I should start sharing a lot of the lessons I've learned in life and that I continue to learn with my fellow entrepreneurs, you know, not like 
I'm speaking to you from a pedestal, but more of, hey, I'm in the trenches with you making mistakes, messing up, building things, you know, ha- being stressed out about it. And, and here are the things I'm learning along the way. And, and so I, I repositioned Jason Does Stuff in a, in a way that's kind of more content focused um, with, you know, a lot of messages and, you know, for email sign up on there that, you know, even if you look at it kind of right now as this inter- whenever this interview goes up, you will probably see if you go to JasonDoesStuff.com, an honest message that says why I want you to sign up for my email list. And I never seen anybody do that before. You know, all I see are the like hacks and download these things and, you know, get my weekly updates type stuff. And I just wanted to do it differently. And and I'm not, I'm the worst at this because I'll have these ideas and then I don't measure them at all. So I don't know if it's any better than when it was just a regular sign up form before that, but I feel better about it. You know, I feel really good about the way that I'm asking people to get on my list. And it really seems to be resonating because, you know, people sign up. I, they get an automatic automatic welcome email that hopefully tries to vet them. And it says, here's what you can expect. Here are a couple things that I've written. If you don't like the tone of this email and you don't like the things that I've written, big unsubscribe button. Like, go ahead and go. Like, I understand you just took the time to subscribe. But if you don't think you're going to be a fit, you should unsubscribe. And, and I would say probably a quarter of the people who get that email unsubscribe, which is great because for me, I'm not afraid. I don't hide unsubscribes anymore. I don't care about the numbers. As we mentioned, I want the quality list. And so now I'm just, I'm really, really focused on creating content that's about that doing, that execution, you know, helping people understand that we're all going through these struggles. That's why I'm drawn to your content a lot too, is because like you share the good and the bad and here's where things messed up and, you know, didn't hit the numbers of ConvertKit that we were looking for. And, you know, here's how I think we can fix that. And, and I think that that's a beautiful, you know, part of entrepreneurship that we just not enough of a share. So it's just my goal right now to share a lot of those things. There's a new iteration of my site that's coming up that at the top of every single page of the site. It says, I want to help you, dot, dot, dot. And so I'm going to reframe my thinking for every piece of content that I create is how does this help somebody? Not how is this a story or, you know, is this a blog post about my life? That's fine if you want to do that. But I want to write a piece of content every week that helps somebody do something. And so that's even my mental trigger to say, okay, Jason, you're writing this thing, but how does it help somebody? You know, are you just writing about something because you want to write or is this actually going to give somebody something to walk away from? So yeah, I, I'm, I'm super excited about where Jason Does Stuff is right now. My focus is kind of already always changing, you know, lots of projects and things up in the air, but I feel really good about that little hub. And, you know, like you said, it's, I think it definitely explains who I am and what I'm doing right now pretty well. Yeah, something that you brought up is, the idea of blogging or creating content from a pedestal mm-hmm. and that usually it just comes across as weird. And everyone always says like, you know, I'd love to teach people about whatever topic, business, entrepreneurship, programming, design, anything, but I'm not an expert in it. And they always yeah. approach it from that because they're, they're thinking of all the people whose blogs they read, they're putting them up on a pedestal and then, yeah. and then, you know, listening to that information And really all you have to do is say, I'm doing things. I'm learning to program. I'm learning to market. I'm trying to grow this business. And this is what I'm going through. And this is what I'm learning along the way. I'm doing things and I'm learning from it and I'm writing about it. And as you go through that process, one, it separates you from nearly everyone else out there because 99% of, of, uh, people on the internet don't actually do anything. They just consume content all day long. Yeah. And so if you start by doing things and then 
telling other people about it. That's how you build an audience. And you, you just do it from a place of humility and, and just say, yeah, this is what I'm working on. If you have ideas of how I could do it better, I'd love to hear them. If I'm wrong in any of my tutorials, just tell me, you know, and yeah. you don't, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be anything. You just need to do things and tell people about it. And be authentic, right? I mean, I think that this is this is the place where, you know, there's a post within me that's going to come out that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. And it's going to be, do you really love that email pop-up squeeze form that's on your website that happens in 10 seconds? Like, do you really enjoy that? When you go to other websites, do you enjoy it? If you don't, just turn it off. Okay, I get it. You're not going to convert 30% of your traffic to your email list and whatever, whatever. But, but like do the things that feel authentic to you. If you love that email pop-up thing, man, run with it. You know, put 33 of them on your website. I don't care. But I, I just wish more people would be authentic. And I, I don't know how long we're supposed to be talking, but I have a question for you and it might take us down a rabbit hole. And I'm, I've never asked you this question before, so I don't know your answer. That's totally But do you, do you consider yourself an expert at anything? No, I don't think so. I don't either. And, and I don't know where this comes from, this this like expert labeling syndrome that we, that we kind of live in. And I, I really I believe that like think about anybody that you think of that's an expert. Like, I, I don't know, let's just say Gary Vee is an expert in marketing. I don't know. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to be true. But the guy doesn't have a diploma that says that he doesn't like no one gave him a certificate that he has on his wall that says like in the area of excellence, Gary V is an expert in marketing. You know, <laughs> he just, he, like you said, he just does it. He does that thing over and over again. So people see it enough that they go, okay, like I associate him with being good at this thing. And I think for you, I mean, there, there's, there's so many things, there's writing, there's design, um, there's, there's building the projects and the apps and I kind of feel myself the same way and, and I'll get, I'll get some, you know, I'll get someone to email me like, Oh, Jason, like we'd love for you to come speak at our conference because you're an expert in marketing. And I just want to, I, I always want to write back. I think I'm just going to start doing it. Why am I an expert in marketing? You know, like, why do you view me in that way? Because I don't, I think I have so much to learn. You know, I think I'm a novice writer at best and there's so much that I can do to hone my craft and get better. And I think that, you know, maybe that just scares some people, you know, maybe they just say, oh, well, if I, if I don't, if I don't put myself out there as an expert, no one's going to listen to my stuff. You've never written that you're an expert and tens of thousands of people, you know, listen to your stuff every day. And, and I'm the same way on a much smaller scale. You know, I, I'm happy to be transparent. I get 500 unique visitors to my website a day. That's not shocking traffic. That's not, that's not, I don't know. That's not expert level traffic. I, you know, I don't even know what that would mean. But I'm really happy with it. You know, I, I like the place that I'm in and I'm okay with that because it's serving me. I, I'm making enough money to live the life that I want to live because I've defined what that means for me. And and I feel successful. So, damn, third soapbox of the podcast. You're never going to have me back on, Nathan. Well, that's okay. You know, one time we can, we can just get it on. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. What, made, what that made me think of is Tim Ferriss on his podcast, one of the his go-to questions is – what do people consider you world-class at? And he actually mm. used to ask that as what are you world-class at? Mm. Which if I was asked that question, I would just like of the, what are you world-class at? That's almost like, what are you, you know, what are you an expert in? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and I would, I would just freeze up. Cause I don't really, like we talked about, I don't really consider myself an expert in any, any of them. So it's like, what am I world-class at? Well, I'm certainly not world-class at design. I, mm -hmm. I'm not world-class at building an email list. You know, I've been at it for years and there, there are plenty of people who have done it many times faster than I am. 
I'm not world-class at, at product launches. I've mm-hmm. had plenty of failed product launches. You know, I, I'm not world-class at, at all kinds of things. And so if I had to come <laughs> back to one, like if I was forced to come up with an answer of, you know, what are you world-class at? It's just, I'm world-class at continuing to work on a project and then just sharing the results. So yeah. to, to tie it back to your domain name, which I love so much, is I'm world-class at doing things. Oh, for sure. And, and yeah, so it, that's the one thing where that doesn't even, you know, that doesn't even position you as an expert or anything like that. But it's just, I'm going to keep working away and I'm going to keep telling people what I'm working on and try to help them in any way possible. And that's who I am. And even though that doesn't make me an expert. I, I love where we went with this because if anybody listening to this feels like, like you're picturing the two of us sitting at a coffee shop having a conversation because that's how I feel right now. If you're sitting there with us, which I believe that anybody listening to this could be, you know, we're not a level above you at all, is that I would look over to you and I would say, I hope that that this makes you feel good enough to do whatever it is that you want to do. Like you don't need any more resources, certifications, acknowledgements. Just just go and do the thing that you want to do and let the credibility grow with the great work that you're putting out into the world. And and that's what I would say to anybody. You know, I, I don't believe that there is any secret sauce or magic to Nathan Barry and, you know, and myself. I, I think that it's just the the will and determination that we want the thing that we want more than we are afraid of it. And, and that's just kind of how I live my life. You know, I, I, I want to build these projects and I want to do these things. And you're the same way more than I am afraid of the, all the things that go along with it. And so I think that's just a really kind of beautiful point to make for anybody listening. Who's like, Oh, but I'm not an expert. Neither are we. And that's okay. Just embrace that and move forward now. Yep. That's perfect. I think that's a good place to end. I also have the title for this episode. I think it'll be something like the art of doing with Jason Zook. Nice. I like it. Even, I like haven't it. even gotten into how you have a new last names now. What the last the last name that we mentioned is like several last names ago. <laughs> it's true. It where, is true. Yes. Where's a post somewhere that that uh, that you talk through this? I, I've read it. Yes. So, where it is. Yeah. If you go to jasonzook.com, Z-O-O-K, uh, that'll redirect you to a post that I wrote of why I picked the last name that I have now, which is my final and future last name uh, forever and ever. But yes, I finally found something in my family history that I want to carry forward. And it's very apropos and it will shock you at what you'll read next. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But it is. I think it's a fun story. I really enjoyed writing that post and then kind of you know being able to carry this forward. So yes, thank you for acknowledging that. It does mean a lot. Uh, jasonzook.com. Yep. That's perfect. I really enjoyed the story. And because at first I thought you just picked the last name at random. And so (laughs) out of the old white pages. (laughs) Exactly. Turned to the end. We're like, hmm, let's go with something with Z. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it's a good story. People should check that out. People should go follow you at jasondoesstuff.com. And if they're not really into your content, they should unsubscribe and never come back. Yes, please do. And tell me what you didn't like. I'm, I'm open for it. You know, I think we can all get better. We can all learn from people who don't, you know, don't resonate with our content. And, you know, maybe there's a little nugget or gem that you saw that I could be like, oh, you know, I could fix that or I could do that better. And if you're just an Internet troll, then you don't have to email me. That's fine. I don't need to hear from you. All right. Well, I think you do some of the most remarkable things with an audience of anyone I know. So thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me, my friend. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason. That's just the first of many interviews to come on building an audience and the amazing things that having an audience lets you do. If you enjoyed this episode, could you do me a huge, huge favor and go to iTunes and first subscribe to the podcast, but then also write a review. For these first episodes, reviews are super important for getting on the new and noteworthy list, which is every podcaster's dream. So if you could help with that, I would greatly appreciate it. Write a review, share the podcast, and subscribe. That's all I'm asking. That's not too much, right? Anyway, next up will be an episode with Paul Jarvis, who is another good friend of mine and actually co-hosts another podcast called Invisible Office Hours with Jason. So I'll see you in the next episode. And another quick thank you to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about them at nathan.kajabi.com.